Tonight, turn to Psalm 77. And isn't it an interesting concept when you kind of think about it, um, that all of us, all of us wear masks. And, and it's a true thing. It's, it's human. It's normal. Um, we, we have masks on that really, in a sense, um, we, we want to show those we come in contact with, um, you know, that we kind of got it all together, that uh, things are fine and, and you're doing good. So, you know, and maybe you even walk through the door and that mask is on. And this message goes out to uh, all of us, really, all of you that are here tonight that you've got the Christian game face mask on. And what is that game face? Oh, man, things are going great. Couldn't be better. You walk through the door, the greeter said, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. How are you doing tonight? You say, oh, fine, great. Bless the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Right, right. That's the face. But in, inside, really in reality, and this isn't for everybody, of course, but some of you here tonight, and you're walking in, you're walking around, and in reality, your husband just left you. Your wife's got breast cancer. You just found out that your son is strung out on heroin. The rent is due, and you got zero money in the bank, and uh, you're barely walking. You're barely talking. You're barely breathing. See, that's the mask that... Um, Tonight, when we look at Psalm 77, we see the writer of that psalm. He, he takes that mask off, really for us. And, and he speaks really from the heart, and he, he speaks for us. Because it's normal for us to put these masks on. It's, it's cultural. I mean, who wants to walk around with their heart on their, their sleeve? And then, you know, in reality, if, if someone were to ask you how you're doing, and, and you say, you really want to know the truth? You really want to know? And then before you know it, you start pouring out, and the person's like, oh, sorry, ass, brother. Um, hey, I, uh, I'll catch up to you. And that happens. That's, that's true. It happens right down here in front. When people come through the doors, hearts are broken. Life is out of control. You're getting pounded by the devil. And really, in reality, the crazy thing is that in the title of the message tonight, when it doesn't make sense, because you're, you're, you're doing your best. You're, you're trying to walk as God wants you to walk. You're doing all the right things. And yet in reality, you know, and trials are a part of the Christian walk. It's, that's it. We know that. If you're new to Christianity, you know, newsflash, don't want to blow you out of the water. But, um, but this is what I'm talking about tonight, and, and you'll see in the psalm, it's more when... when I mean, the normal trials, they come, you know, it's like a wave comes and there's time to regain your breath and balance and you get back up, okay, then another trial comes and you kind of keep, you're able to kind of manage. What I'm talking about tonight is when, and maybe you've all been in the ocean and the waves are big and you're, you're out there kind of too far and maybe in a little bit over your head and the waves are crashing and the waves are crashing and, the waves are, and you're beginning to get a little bit panicky and you can't catch your breath. And you're looking for the lifeguard tower, and you're, you're, looking, you're thinking, wait a minute, in a minute, I'm throwing up my hand. See, that's kind of what I'm talking about tonight. And you're at the place in your own life where you're just, you're scratching your head, and you're crying out to God, and yet it seems like he's not listening. 
seems like he's not there. Your circumstances, not only are they not changing, but things are getting worse. And you're saying to God, how much is enough? How much more can I endure? You're crying out for relief. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe that resonates with your heart. Psalm 77, if you're there, in our passage, Asaph is the writer. Um, I think it's the sixth of this psalm. And, um, and he, he, just, he takes off the game face. He's pouring out his heart to God. He drills God, really, with, with six questions. He exposes his heart, tells it like it is. He opens up, bears it all. And, and we see, really, his humanity in this. We see our humanity in this psalm. And if you were to stand up where you're at um, and, and proclaim really what's going on in your life, yes, we want to have this, hey, everything's going okay, because in reality, when it's all said and done and we leave this earth, guess what? Everything you're dealing with, I'm dealing with, stays right here. It's gone. It's done forever to be forgotten. Praise God. We can, we can rejoice in that. We can sing in that. But there's times when it's so hard to even sing. And it doesn't make any sense to the psalmist here. He's saying, God, we're your chosen people. What happened? Where'd you go? Why are you going to allow this to happen? And the the background for Psalm 77 is they believe that it was written right before the invasion of the Babylonians to come, not only to take Israel, Israel had already gone, but to take Judah as well. And Asaph just can't believe that God is going to allow his nation, his people, to be taken by this heathen king and kingdom to be killed, ravaged, to be displaced. It's unheard of. It's, it's God, what? This doesn't make any sense at all. We thought that you loved us. And the destruction, the captivity comes, and, and he's, he's totally in a, in a bad place. But let's read the psalm. And you'll get the idea here. Psalm 77, verse 1, I cried out to my God with my voice, to God with my voice. He gave ear, so the psalmist at least knows that God hears. And in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. It's like he was reaching out in the night trying trying to grasp this spiritual God that he couldn't hold on to. And then my soul refused to be comforted Meaning he, he was so overwhelmed with this, it was like he was obsessed with, I can't believe that I'm in this place. And, and the comforts that he knew that would come from God, it was almost like he was rejecting them. He, he, was, he was so messed up in his head, it was like help was being offered to him, but not. I'm, I'm refusing that comfort. Verse 3, I remembered God, and he was troubled. What, what, he remembered God's characteristics. God, this is not you. This doesn't make any sense to me. I complained, verse 3, and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. As we're reading this, maybe this is resonating with you a little bit. Maybe you've been here. You hold my eyelids open. Oh, my gosh. How many times you're awake at night? How many times there's that insomnia, the anxiety that's going on because of life and the trials and the things that are going on? Here it is. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Been there before? You're just overwhelmed. It's like nothing. We're, we're talking the depths of depression here. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night and how it was before, how things were before, how things were for the children of Israel. 
I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. And here is these questions. And listen to these questions and, and see if, if this is really anything that has anything to do with the truth of who God is. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Then he puts Selah in there like, yeah, you really want to focus on that and ponder that? And really, in this, the psalmist, he's, he's, in, he's in a bad place. He's not in a good place with God. Why? Because he's hearing nothing but lies about God. And we've all experienced that. And what is the biggest lie that you hear from the devil is that he does not love you. He doesn't even care about you. And this could be a result of what you've done. Or like I said earlier, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm doing my best to walk the best I can. He's in a bad place. These six questions, he's discouraged. He's despondent. Really, he's saying, God, what are you doing? Don't you even care? And then the one, are you even able to do what you say that you can do? Don't you still love us? And all his thoughts are false regarding God. Remember, God hasn't changed. His love for them hasn't changed. Yes, they're going to be going through it. Yes, it was a result of what was happening, but none of this was true about God. Then he says here, verse 10a, this is it right here. And I said, this is my anguish. This is how I feel. The mask is off. He's bared it all before the Lord. Being totally open and honest. Because he's saying, really, man, this, this doesn't make any sense, God. What is about to happen, what is about to come our way, I don't understand. And maybe you've never said it before verbally, but possibly thought it. For me personally, um, this, this journey that I've been on, and really this message is birthed out of just personal life experiences. It started in uh, November last year, a week after I got back from the Philippine mission trip. Those mission trips, just a little warning, there's a little bit of spiritual warfare going on with those things. Two days after Thanksgiving, um, received news of a situation that was going on in, in our family. Um, and just quite frankly, um, one of the, one of the, up in the top five of all of the greatest trials that I've been through in my 29 years as a Christian, up there, tremendous battle. And it's one of those ones that is just continuing even to where I was dealing with it this morning, this, this trial, this situation. So personal, though, I just, it's not appropriate for me to even share with you over the, over the pulpit. Maybe, maybe someday when it's all said and done and fixed and I can come back and share the testimony, but just um, huge, huge trial. And, and I actually found myself totally relating to this psalm, reading it, saying, wow, I, that's me. I'm right there. Those are the questions I'm asking. Can't make sense, Lord. Why are you allowing this? Man, I'm just trying to serve you. <laughs> you know, one of those sayings where it's like, uh, Lord, do you, you, you understand um, how hard this is? Lord, do you understand where our hearts are? And, and, and the roller coaster ride of the, of the trials of this trial just coming and going and coming and going, not making sense of it, what you're doing. And then finding out another situation crashed upon us in May. 
this has left really me and my wife in a place where it's like, man, Lord, never, never been in such. I've been in a lot of trials, a lot of situations, lost a lot of loved ones. And, and yet those situations, and don't get me wrong, losing a loved one is, is right up there. But there's closure. It, it passes. It's, it's not lingering. And these are lingering trials that, that really today there's, there's no resolve in them. They're, they're still there. They're still fresh. It's, and things will get a little bit better, it seems, and then the wound is, is cut again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and this, is, of course, is where the psalmist is. And if this passage resonates with you, then you know what I'm talking about. You know, um, and you find yourself thinking, really, that nobody is going through what you're going through. And that's, that's another lie of the enemy. Because in this room here, in this small gathering, really, man, life is happening. Situations, even hearing stories of those getting ready to go to Uganda and, and the trials that are popping up in the midst of that. You know, and you're in the, that place where, you know, the normal pat answers of scriptures. I mean, you can only quote Romans 8.28 so many times. And yes, God's word is there. And yet it's one of those things where it seems like those scriptures, those things aren't doing what they used to do in your life. And in this situation that I find myself now, it's kind of kind of where I'm at. Although, honestly, being that this was began last November and where we are today, feeling way, way, way better about everything. <laughs> but why? I'll, I'll share why in a bit. But it might be some consolation to know that others are going through this. First Peter 5, 8, what's it say? Let me read that to you. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a Roaring lion, seeking who may be devoured. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brother in the world. You came in tonight, and you're going through it, and it's deep, and it's heavy, and it's hard. Maybe that person right next to you can relate. And tonight, we finish definitely an opportunity for those of you to come forward, that we could agree with you in prayer. See, nobody can change your circumstances but God. Nobody has the answers for you. Especially, we've been down here in front, and some of the people have come forward with these things, and you walk away so overwhelmed for the person. It's like, oh my gosh, Lord, have mercy. And all you can do is agree with them in prayer. All you can do is cry with them. But the same sufferings, and, and even many stories through the Bible, as we know, and we'll, we'll look at some of these. But even for us in the news, you hear stories. Remember the story that happened, in, I think, in August on the 10 freeway? You remember that story where the Good Samaritan pulls over to help the family that was stranded? And not only does he get killed, but all the members of the family get killed, and the husband drives up to see nothing but carnage. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I can remember that, that night that we were here on a Thursday night. We were doing the harvest training when we got the word that Greg Laurie's son had been killed. Three weeks before harvest. And I just remember thinking, man, God, why would you let this happen right now? Well, it didn't make any sense to me. Didn't make any sense. And we all have our stories. You have your stories. You have your, it doesn't make any sense. And there's many in the Bible. Turn with me now to the book of Ruth. And we're going we're gonna to look at a few of these stories just to really encourage. And maybe you've never been there before, the book of Ruth. It's a small little book right after Judges. But this story in the book of Ruth, 
Of course, we know the, the, the book. We know the story. It's great. We have the kinsman redeemer and Boaz, a type of Christ, and Ruth meets him, and they get married to have the baby, and, and, and all is good because they have Obed, and Obed has Jesse, and Jesse has David, and, and the lineage goes all the way to Christ. It's a great story. It's got that wonderful phrase that's used in a lot of weddings, where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, all that kind of stuff. But in the backdrop of this story is the story of Naomi. Now, here in chapter one, we know the story. Naomi's married to Elimelech. They, they're out of food. They take off from Bethlehem. They go to Moab. They take their two sons. They go to Moab thinking everything's going to be great. They get there. Ten years they're there. Elimelech dies. Then the two sons get married. Ten years later, they die. And we see Naomi basically going through this incredible trial that no doubt made no sense to her. And when you know the book, you know the story, ultimately God had to get Ruth to Boaz and she just happened to be the one that was in the midst of this as the mother-in-law. She gets ready. She's going to take off and go back to Bethlehem. The daughters want to go. She says, no, don't go. One of them says, okay, I'm not going to go. Ruth says, nope, I'm going with you. But we see here in verse 13, this is the beginning where you see the heart of what's going on with Naomi. She says, no, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Didn't make any sense. I lost my husband. I lost my two sons. That's a huge trial to go through. But then we move on to verse 19 of chapter 1 here, and we see they're getting ready to come into Bethlehem. And they're on their way, they're on the road, and we see really... um, Naomi, take off the mask. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, I wonder if that was, oh, is this Naomi or is that Naomi? Because you see what happened to her. But she said to them, don't call me Naomi. And what does the word Naomi mean? Pleasant. Don't call me pleasant anymore. No, no, call me Mara. And what does the word Mara mean? Call me bitter. Ah, bitter. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Didn't make any sense, Naomi. Now, We know the end of the story. She knows the end of the story. She gets a grandson. It's a great thing. But she didn't know what was going to take place beyond that. She probably knows now that she's in heaven. So we see the story with Naomi. Now turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, and we'll talk about King Hezekiah, 2 Kings chapter 19. Another one of these situations, this doesn't make sense. Now King Hezekiah, 2 Kings chapter um, 19 here. Great king, son of Ahaz, who was a bad king. He did right in the sight of the Lord as his father David did. He hopped over his father, went to King David, and the kings that followed the Lord right, they all said that same thing. They all did that. He opened up the house of the Lord, repaired the house, he restored worship and Passover, instituted all these reforms, and did all these great things. You read in 2 Chronicles 32, after all these sayings, then it's the very next verse, verse 1, 32 says, After these deeds of faithfulness, you would think they would say, after these deeds of faithfulness, man, life for Hezekiah was the greatest. He was wonderful. Everything was beautiful and everybody was happy and smiling all the day long. 
Now, after these deeds of faithfulness, then came Sennacherib, the leader of the Assyrian army, the king to come and to take the nation and basically pillage it. And they circled up around the city there. And they used to do that. Basically, they would just wait it out till everybody inside starved, killed themselves, were so weak they could easily take. And in this chapter here, we see Hezekiah, he gets the letter, he gets the note from Sennacherib, from the messenger. And the story goes, verse 14 of chapter 19, and Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prays before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God alone. All the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline, O Lord, hear, open. He says, open your eyes. Kind of a, kind of a rude thing to say to God, huh? Like, open your eyes, dude. Come on, what's up with you? Open your eyes, Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations in their hands. And we see in his plea, we see in his heart that this isn't making any sense to him. And have cast gods into the fire, for they are not gods, but the work of the men's hands. Wood and stone, therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the God and you alone. Hezekiah, after these deeds of faithfulness, didn't make any sense. Now turn to Acts chapter 14, a little story about the apostle Paul. Acts chapter 14. And all these stories in God's word to really encourage us because you imagine they are going through the trials that didn't make any sense. Naomi, doesn't make any sense. Hezekiah, wait a minute. You're, you're going to let us be destroyed. Now, the Apostle Paul, surely anybody in God's word that was serving God, he's going to be spared from all these trials, all these things, right? God's going to protect him. God's going to shield him. Paul is in my perfect place. He's doing exactly what I want to do. So, nah, nah, nah. The devil's not even going to come close. It's amazing what the Apostle Paul had to go through. Crazy, crazy trials. In chapter 14... Incredible story here. He's in Iconium. He's preaching. They want to stone him. He heads over to Lystra. In Lystra there, he's there. Remember, this is the story where he, he heals the cripple who'd never walked from birth. Paul says, stand up, be healed. He heals him. It is so amazing that the people of the city, they call him Zeus or Hermes. They call Barnabas Zeus. I mean, they start worshiping him as gods. I mean, it's such an amazing thing. And of course, Paul and Barnabas saying, guys, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. We're nobody. We're just servants like you are. So he does this great miracle. Verse 19. Then. I hate that word then. Then. Then came Sennacherib. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Really? Really, God? This is the one you called on the road to Damascus? He's, he's, and, and really, they believe he was dead here. They believe this is where he, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the whole vision of, in, in 11, the whole vision of paradise and such, they believe that's where he had this vision because he's like, 
man, I'm out, I'm gone. Kind of like dead, like you see a, a dead cat, you kick, you suppose he's dead. Yeah, dead for sure. The story goes, though, that the, the disciples, more or less, I'm sure they gathered around and prayed him. He rose up again, but it's like, God, why? Now, the Apostle Paul was able to verbalize here, at least in Scripture, in verse 22. He says, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. But I wonder, I wonder in Paul's humanity, have you ever looked up to God like, you know, the movie Fiddler on the Roof? Remember when Tebier is there and, and he's on his way back and it's getting ready for the Sabbath. He's got to hurry and his cow goes lame and he has to actually tow the cow and the, the cart. And he's looking up. Really? Couldn't you have done this some other time? Or can you pick on somebody else for a while? But for me, the ultimate example of this just doesn't make sense is John the Baptist. Now, we all know the story of John the Baptist. How did John the Baptist's life end? Now, this is the one, remember, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? Among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Even Jesus' cousin isn't spared. He's allowed by God to be beheaded. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make any sense at all. And that one to me, I, I mean, when I get to heaven, it's like, oh, come on. I, I don't see any purpose in this. I know John said, I must decrease so he could e- increase, but like decrease like 12 inches? <laughs> I mean, now imagine, imagine. This is, these are real people. These aren't just stories. These are real people who went through real life circumstances like you're going through. Imagine John, he's sitting there in prison. I'm using up the time. You know what's cool about the new time? Is I can go to nine and you're not even going to even think about it. Right? Instead of being done by 8.30. But imagine John in prison. Now, he's in there, of course. Herod put him in there because he came against him and Herodias, you know, him having his brother Philip's wife and it's wrong and everything. So, but I don't really think he's in there expecting to die from it. You know, Herod wanted to kill him, but he, he wanted to keep him around because the people thought he was a prophet, you know, John the Baptist and all. But He's in there, you know, maybe he's playing cards with some of the guys in prison and everything. All of a sudden, chains open, he looks, and there's the executioner. They grab him. I'm sure no explanation. Bam. What was he thinking? Does he think he was going, praise the Lord, hallelujah, this is cool? No. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Real trials, real people, real characters, not making any sense. Going back now to Psalm 77. And when we find ourselves here, and, and of course, in these stories, at least we, we know that we're not alone. God allowed these stories to be recorded. And, and of course, we, we, we want to try and make sense of these stories, and we can. We see some of the answers there and what God is doing. But we find ourselves, though, in that place where it just seems like, man, you're just getting pounded. Your faith is wavering. What, what do we do? How do we get through this? Now, like I said, the, the normal season of trials that come and go and such, it seems like we're able to, to weather those. And, of course, only God knows what we can endure. But we're in the place where you are being um, hit so many times, so hard, that your faith is actually being so tested. What do we do? Asaph, 
we see here in the psalm, verse 10 through 15, he chooses to remember. And oftentimes, just taking the time to remember God in his faithfulness, like the songs that we sang tonight. Remember what he's done. Reaffirming our faith, reaffirming what he's done. Going back to your, maybe your notes in a sense, and, and I have, like I've shared before, you know, the, the great God moments, 2017, 2016, whatever. These things, to go back, to be able to go back and say, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, and you, you're strengthened by these things. And there's incredible strength in remembrance. But let's read this, what he says here. But I will, verse 10a, I mean 10b, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. So he's gone from these six questions, his anguish, who knows how long, you know, we cut the Bible up in these verses and such, but this is just a, a letter that was written. Maybe he stopped at verse 10a. This is my anguish. Walked away for a while. Had to go through it. Had to deal with it. Had to ponder this. Had to sit before the Lord. Man, Lord, ah. And then God finally shook him out of his, his place of despondency. And he comes back to the paper, so to speak. Ha, ah, okay. I'm going to remember these things. I'm going to remember your works. I'm going to remember your wonders. I'm going to meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds and your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. And who's so great a God as our God? You are a God who does wonders. You've declared your strength among the people. You have, with your right hand, your arm, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. So he's reminded himself of what God has done and who God is. And we all know, maybe you don't, Lamentations 3, 21. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope that through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because it's compassions. They fail not. They are new in every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, it's so cool. You know, we're obviously, you know, we're doing under construction here. We tore off the drywall. If you remember, if you've been to the church when we built this thing on the wall that was before it was drywall, when we had a service in here before it was all finished, the same phrase that's there above the, um, the arch there in the foyer was written on that um, on the sheer wall. In, in calligraphy, the guy had a great gift of writing. It says, great is thy faithfulness. And of course, that was like the, the motto, of course, of our church at that time when God opened the door for us to come here. And when we remember you guys, there's such strength, such, and it might be all you need. This just might be all you need to bring you through, to get you back on track. But honestly, Just speaking from my own experience, sometimes remembering is just not enough. It still isn't enough. You're still in that place, the depth of despair. Things don't change. The roller coaster ride continues. The trials keep coming with no relief. And that's where I found myself, man, searching for answers. Man, Lord, I'm the kind of person that's like, okay, if I can make sense of these things, I'm okay. So at the pastor's conference there at the end uh, end of June, you know, go to the conference, man, Lord, you, you help, got to speak, let me hear you. Well, they have workshops. I'm looking through the workshop, sure enough, entitled Suffering and the Ministry. That's it, Lord. Ha <laughs> ha. Pastor Brian, Pastor Richard Semino, seasoned senior, past, senior pastors, I'm going to hear the answer. I'm gonna, it's it's going to click. The light's going to go on. It, man, I'm, I'm going to be like Shangri-La. It's right there. Oh. Honestly, in my heart, 
These guys don't have a clue. Brian was pretty close. He talked about a trial, amazing trial that for, I think, 25 years, he battled um, Epstein-Barr. And he talked about these stories. So, and he even made a point of talking about the, the place where you get to where this doesn't make any sense. So, you know, they gave it, had a Q&A. Brian, 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 hey, develop that a little bit more. I mean, wh- wh- what did you mean there? <sighs> he didn't, didn't do anything for me. Seriously. Walked out of there thinking to myself, man, these guys are no help. Nothing. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just being honest here. <laughs> and, and so, but it, was a, but it was a neat thing that did take place because I walked away expecting God to speak and God to minister and to hear. And yet, when I didn't hear anything, when there was no answers, Really, what it came in with it, you know what? You just got to wait this out. I mean, that, that's the, the, the big, profound, earth-shattering epiphany. He's got to wait it out. But as I sat there and pondered, waiting it out, the Lord did speak to me. He did. He did. And, and I wrote down five things. That's kind of where there's going to be some notes up here if you can actually see them. See, the cool thing about having this plastic up there, when we have the new stuff up, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is so awesome. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty cheesy. It is pretty cheesy. But, that's, you know, it's the best we can do. It's like, the, you know, the man behind the bubble thing, you know. <laughs> I wish I could take you back there, but you'll see. So anyhow, five things the Lord spoke to me. Number one, to keep reading. And, and these were developed as I sat and, and it's, you know, obviously, duh, keep reading. But... If you know what I'm talking about, and you've been in that place, guess what? You don't feel like reading. Because you're like Asaph. Lord, what? this doesn't make any sense. Is this the best that I'm going to get from you? Is this the way you're going to treat me after serving you all these years? And you cop an attitude. There's, there's a bit of a, a disdain that goes on in your heart. But you have to keep reading the Word of God, even when you don't feel like it. Why? Because you need to reinforce your heart with the promises of God. Even if you've read that promise a hundred times over, folks. Do not be deceived in your trial, in your, in your despair, into thinking, I'm just not going to read the Word anymore. And if you're not reading the Word of God, you've got to get in God's Word. It's your only help. It's your only hope. This is truth. What Asaph shared, what he spoke of, of course, those were lies. Those, those were lies of the liar. And I, and I don't call the devil, I, he's just a liar. He is just the liar. He's a liar. And he loves to lie to us and to convince us that the lies are true. What is Jeremiah 15, 16? Thy words were found and I did eat and they became to me. The translation I read, they became. See, at first you're reading it and it might not be there, but they became to him the joy and rejoicing in my heart. And as I've read through the word and keep reading through the word, yeah, yeah, I read that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then, then it comes. That one word, ah, over the hump for the day. Second thing, keep walking. Keep walking, you guys. And what this means is to keep walking in obedience to God's word in the state that you're in, understanding where Asaph was, in the state that you're in, the state that I've been in. It's like, you know, you're a dangerous enemy territory. 
I, I even described to the staff those, those six questions. It was like Asaph was in the, the devil's irons. And if, you're, if you've ever sailed, to be in irons in a sailboat is a dangerous place because your sail is doing this and you're going nowhere. You can't get out of that. It's a dangerous place. You've got to be obedient to God's word because he's pounding you. And, and the devil, the liar, he, there's no, he doesn't play fair. There isn't anything fair about him. He's not going to let up. When he sees what's going on in your life, it's like the sharks are circling and they've smelled blood. It's over with. He's going for it. And he's going to do anything he can to take you down. In the midst of where you're at in that trial, you're, you're, you're weaker than normal. And the temptations are going to come. The things are going to happen. And you're going to be tempted to say, you know what? Chuck this saying, I'm going after the flesh. And then the crash comes. The real crash comes. The real fall comes. Keep walking. And, and even as we read 1 Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he devour. Resist him. You got to resist the liar. James says the same thing. Resist the devil and he will flee. Then thirdly, number three, keep moving. Now, what do you mean by keep moving? Really putting one foot in front of the other in your life, in your walk. You got to keep moving, meaning even if you have to go through the motions, you know what? You don't feel like coming to church. You don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like devotion. You don't feel like fellowship. Just go through the motions. Get up out of your bed. And people who, who go through severe depression, it's even hard just to do that. And yet, really, in the midst of the spiritual warfare, the devil's oppression turns into depression. You find yourself in a place that's like, I don't even want to get out of bed. What did Asaph say? I, I was, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't even speak. That's depression. Major depression. Idleness is the devil's workshop, as we know. Got to keep moving, folks. You got to get up. You got to keep going. Number four, of course, obviously, though, keep waiting. Keep waiting for God to move. Now, who knows how long your trial is going to be? Who knows how long this situation is going to last? By my request and my prayer, I wanted it over 10 minutes after I had this conversation back in November. And it's gone on and on. And, and seriously, dealing with it last night, dealing with it this morning. But you got to keep waiting for God to move. Isaiah 43.10. We sang this song tonight. What is it? Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mounting up on wings as eagles, running and not growing weary, walking, not becoming faint. And it's scriptural, and yet it's so hard. It is so tough. I'm waiting, God. How much longer do I got to wait? And then fifthly, and this is one that's so crazy, but it's so, for me, this has been maybe the biggest way I've been able to keep going forward is to keep singing. Keep singing. Man, I found so much strength. I mean, God would just continually bring to me new songs, new albums, new things to listen to. I would share them with the staff, in a sense, pouring out. I mean, this song so ministered to me. Um, Jason Gray, I Will Rise. I mean, these, these songs are just like, and, and, and they would sustain me. And then the next one would come for a few months. And the next one would come, I'm telling you, keep singing. 
You say, I can't sing. I can barely talk. You got to. You got to keep singing. Seriously. And you think about Paul in the book of Acts chapter 16. And what happened, of course, we, we know the story about him and Silas being put in prison, right? And, and what they do in prison. Right before that, Paul, again, he's, he heals a girl from demon possession. And yet he gets beat on, thrown and dragged into prison. And what does he and Silas sit there and do? Singing hymns and praises to God. And yet I wrote this down. When we sing in our prisons, miraculous things can happen. And even chains can be broken. That, that chain that the enemy has you bound with, that depression, that oppression, that, that place of where, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing the towel in. I'm done. I'm walking away. That can be broken as long as you keep on singing. Because really, ultimately, the devil is trying to silence not only you, but also me. And we're all in this together. Amen. Some of the things, lessons that I learned through this, though, just because it doesn't make sense to me or you doesn't mean it doesn't make sense to God. Have you guys saw the movie The Shack? Anybody see that movie? Actually, it's actually a very good movie. God ministered to me and my wife during just watching that. I mean, she just sat there and cried through the whole thing. Just incredibly crazy story. And yet the whole character deal is kind of trippy and everything. But the point of it is, even in there, there's a, there's a quote that it, just because it doesn't make sense to me and you doesn't mean it's not making sense to God. Always God has a plan. Number two, don't expect or assume that it's going to make sense. See, if you're a type A personality, man, you got your, your trials all, okay, this, this has got to make sense. This has got to be this. This has got to be this. It's like, I mean, isn't, isn't Christianity supposed to be like Orange County Christianity, you know? Where everybody's driving an Audi and, and all the kids are blonde and blue-eyed and there's nothing but money around the table and, and this Christian thing is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Whoa, I never knew it would be so fun. Nah, it doesn't work out that way. It's not perfect. It's not going to be as you think. You're not always going to be able to make sense of it. Now, it's interesting. My mom passed away in 2003. She'd come down with cancer. And the interesting thing about her passing, although, of course, didn't want it to happen, but I was able to make sense of it. She smoked most of her life. What happens when a lot of people smoke most of their life? You get cancer. Okay, so we're in this thing. We fight it. It seems like she's going to go back and forth. Oh, she's going to be uh, and you're, the whole three years. And by the time we just recognized that it, it wasn't going to happen, and at that time, it was like, God, please, just take her home. I knew she was saved. It made sense. There was, a, there was a peacefulness in it. Well, my mom, married to my stepdad for 32 years, he passed away a year ago in March. Didn't make any sense to me. See, Chuck, he was, he was 86 years old. He was really pretty good health for being that, that old. Yet he had COPD and he had like breathing problems a lot of times. And he would go in the hospital kind of annually. It was like the height of the flu season there. And, and so January he goes in and it's a normal deal. Go down, okay, hurry up. You know, they give him breathing treatments, all these kinds of things. And, and he, he just bounces back. And so we're expecting the same thing to happen. Well, January goes by. Hey, what, what, are, you, what are you still doing here? February starts going by. Well, 
the crazy thing is, being in the hospital a long time will kill you. I'm not kidding. He's in there. He comes down. He, he contracts C. diff. I don't know what the, I mean, I know C. diff, but it's basically it's an intestinal bacteria that if your immune system has been compromised and you've taken a lot of antibiotics, your body and the antibiotics cannot fight it anymore. And you basically, you get these, you get this in the hospital. So what happens? Okay, what, oh, they fixed it. He's okay. Wait, it's, it's come back again. He fixed Basically, so he passes away on March 8th, two days before his 87th birthday. One day before I'm taken off to another Philippine mission trip. This isn't making any sense, God. And it didn't make any sense. Sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it's not. I, I struggled with his passing for quite a while. Question, what's, come on. Because it didn't make sense. Didn't expect it. Shouldn't have happened It really in reality. So don't expect or assume it's going to make sense. Number three, don't look at the lives of others around you. Because your next door neighbor, the friend sitting with you right here, a family member, whatever, whatever, they're not going through what you're going through. And you can begin to look upon their lives and say, wait a minute, why am I the one who's getting pounded here? And you seem to be like, you know, all you're doing is sitting around eating ice cream and watching Jeopardy. I mean, everything's wonderful in your life. And I'm dying here. I'm getting my, key, my teeth kicked in by the devil, and you're just, everything's fine. It's a trap of frustration and doubt, because then you begin to question. Yeah, so why aren't they going through it? Then you want to kind of like throw a little bit their way, you know. Come here, let it rub off on you. And number four, the Lord ministered me, don't expect others to understand. Especially when you're walking around with the game face on, and they ask you how you're doing. This morning I walked in, and one of the ladies, hey, Pastor Rob, how are you doing? How's things going? How are you? Fine. And, and I'm, I'm, I was completely lying. Completely, you're not being a hypocrite. I mean, just, I mean what are you going to say? You, you really want to know the truth. I, okay, you ready? You can't handle the truth. I mean, just. <laughs> I'm not trying to make light of this at all because I'm serious. I'm glad I can joke, but it was, it was crazy. So in conclusion tonight, maybe you're here. Maybe you're here and things are as wonderful as can be. Praise God. But maybe you're here and, and you have that mask on and, um, and you don't want to take it off. You don't want people to see you cry. And, and, and also you don't want to feel like some kind of drama king or queen because it just seems like, man, really? And yet... We, we want to have you come forward tonight to be prayed, to agree with you. And like I said earlier, none of the pastors, nobody, we, we can't fix what's going on. We don't even have the answers. Some of your life situations are worse than what's going on in my life. And if that's you, we want to give you that opportunity to come forward, to be prayed with, to be encouraged. And of course, that's, that's why we come to church, to to come alongside and be in fellowship and there's, you have those people that you can share with. And, and I, have, I have my people on staff. There's people on staff who know exactly what's going on. Not everybody on staff does. It's too heavy. 
too heavy. And I'm so thankful for those people. Some of those people are here even tonight. Their prayers, their support. And you just can't get through it without that. I pray you find people like that in your own life. But going back to the pastors here as we close in prayer, the worship team comes back up. Um, Man, this is the place to do some business with God, to just pour it out, allow him to speak and minister, and to hold on in those five things, man. Keep reading, you guys. Got to keep reading. Keep walking in obedience to the word. Don't give in to the temptations. Keep moving. Get up tomorrow morning. Get up. Get up and put a foot in front of the other. And, and lose the thoughts of, of giving up. Lose the thoughts of, of throwing in a towel, of walking away from Jesus. Nah, you got to hold on. You got to keep waiting. Got to keep waiting and trusting. And then you got to keep singing. Keep the music on. Get your Pandora going, your Christian station. Let the songs come. And I'm telling you what, there will be songs that will just jump right out. Maybe you've heard them before. Maybe you haven't heard them before. But they're going to lift you up. And you'll find yourself singing and crying at the same time. And yet God is there for you. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you never change. And Lord, in our humanity and our finite minds and um, our, our inability to see what you see, Lord, I thank you that you are merciful, that you are so understanding. I'm even reminded that even your son on the cross found him in a place that maybe he never, never expected when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that you hadn't. We know that you didn't. And yet part of the whole plan of redemption, Lord, you had to turn your back on him. And so Lord, tonight, if there are any that are here that are feeling that you've rejected them, you've abandoned, that their prayers are bouncing off thin air, they're in that place where it's just um, even to get into the car to come to church tonight, Lord. And Father, for those that didn't even come tonight, Lord, maybe we know these people. Would you be their peace? Would you be their strength? Would you be their song? Would you be their hope? Would you lift them through, Lord, this trial? And Lord, we know your word says that you will not give us more than we can withstand or we can bear, but <laughs> Lord, it sure seems that we can come really, really, really close. So, Father, encourage my brothers and sisters tonight. Lord, pour out your love upon them. Lord, that your love never fails. It never changes. And, and that, Lord, as the liar has come and tried to deceive and, and discourage and blind, Lord, would you, would you help them to resist him? To be steadfast, to be immovable, to not give in to hold on, Lord, to that that relief comes from on high. Bless them, Lord, tonight we pray. Just thank you again for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.